Will we be the filtered or the filtrate? This is The Great Filter. Hackers are breaking the systems for profit. Before, it was about intellectual curiosity and pursuit of knowledge and thrill. And now, hacking is big business. Kevin Mitnick. Every single morning, I'm waking up to another report of some ransomware attack on some company or another. There is nothing more revolting to me than the fact that, that we've come to this. All of your talking heads are singing their little songs about what the government needs to be doing or, or how we can work with other countries to control this. In fact, uh, just this morning, some sort of ad came on. I can't remember the name of the company, but it was a cybersecurity company. And I think the ad starts something like, what does it take to stop ransomware or malware or something like that? Something to that effect. Cyber attacks. I think it was cyber attacks. For somebody like myself that has a pretty hefty experience in the security world, and and right uh, security structures of of computers the advertisement was one of two things either it was right uh, created by a company that has no idea what cybersecurity even means either that or the company producing the ad doesn't care that what they just said was totally deceptive here's the problem with that you cannot say, what do we need to do to stop cybersecurity issues, to stop these cyber attacks? That, that, that is the stupidest thing you could ever possibly say because there is no way to stop it. Cybersecurity is an endless race. First, the producers of the software put their software out into production and, and, uh, release their packages and get it out there and people start using it and then the hackers or the security specialists both of them actually at the same time um, while producers of the software are continually looking for um, problems with their software uh, they'll hire or have entire um, either penetration testers or or um, a little in-house department of of white hat hackers uh, hired just specifically to look for security issues with the software because they want to get it patched up. You know, if there's are, if there are any holes or problems, they want to get it patched up. And, but while they're trying to figure that out, um, the hackers are out there, you know, people are decompiling code and sifting through it and trying to figure out what's, what's what. And so the race is on. I mean, that's the, the second you put your software out there, the race starts. That's why uh, if you've heard the term zero-day exploits, that's where it comes from. The second a piece of software is is published or put up online or distributed or, you know, however you you put your software out there, the second you get it out there, the hackers or the black hats, right, go out there and get it and do everything they can to it to see where the holes are.
where they can penetrate or break the software or get it to do something it shouldn't. And before we kind of dig into that hole a little bit more, I want to rewind just a little bit and talk about why this happens in the first place. Why companies put their wares out there before they really have a chance to, to comb through what they've, what they've built. Now, I understand that, I guess, segue number two here, that the reason I go over this stuff and the reason I'm putting this out there and, and scrutinizing these processes and our culture and problems that we have is because it seems to me that more often than not, most people don't, they, they see the superficial kind of fissures and problems with what's going on. And a lot of people, I guess, I, I don't know that it's anybody's fault. I think it's our, our culture has just kind of driven this into our minds that, that this is just the way things are. So, um, that's kind of, well, that is the reason I decided to do this, uh, this podcast. So let's go back to the companies and how they produce their software and what happens why at some point do they decide to just release their software without having first gone through everything with a fine-tooth comb to really figure out where all of these problems are now nobody's going to be able to find all of the bugs um the the systems that are out there that haven't had any bugs found for a while they are the mature systems the systems that have really been out there for a long time and they're open source right community driven they've been come through people have scrutinized the code people have patched the code up it's been out there for years and years and years and years those are the systems that are the most stable but when we talk about the operations of a company you have so many different factors that affect why and how and when a product gets distributed. And you're going to hear this a lot from me, but the financial drive is one of the biggest factors in why so many problems arise. And one of these days, I'm going to do a whole episode on the, on the financial drive and the dynamics of it and how it how it really works you're, you're not going to hear very many people talk about this this is something that either most people don't know about or people don't want to talk about it because it's 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 like um uh, okay okay let's let's lay out a fictional scenario really quickly uh, let's say there's there's um, a group of people that believe in a great unicorn god, right? And the great unicorn god has delivered all these commandments and ideas and and philosophies and and let let's say that this religion, right? This unicorn religion spread across the entire planet, and everybody eventually turns into a, a unicorn god believer. Now, if two or three, four or five, you know, a small portion, two or three, a small portion of these 
of these individuals at some point in their life began to question the reality of this unicorn god. They began to see that that the, the belief in commandment such and such causes a certain amount of damage every time, you know, just the fact that the commandment exists and that people follow it, there's these side effects that continue to happen. And, and you know, a, a small few select individuals see this and, and it kind of starts to spread and, and others begin to wonder. But, but by now, the religion has grown so far and so fast and it's become such a intricate like uh, structure in their society that to question it becomes just this major uh, taboo so it came it, it becomes extremely difficult to persuade others that there are problems with with what is happening okay and so like i said um <laughs> I, i'll likely dedicate a later episode to those specific problems and and it's not going to be popular it's not going to be something people want to hear but all the same this is kind of my thing this is what i've been studying for a long period of time and uh, i've been really um oh analytical i guess just i've really torn a lot of this into little shreds so for now, we're going to kind of look at what happens inside of a company that is, um, that's, that's out there for a profit. And of course, what company is not. Okay. So the first thing we have to realize here in, in this structure is that open source software is incredibly superior to closed source software. And there are several reasons for this, but one of the biggest reasons is that open source software is available to everybody. You can jump online, you can go to wherever the it's being kept, uh, called the repository. You can check it out, you can sift through the code, you can submit your own patches, you can, um, you can raise awareness of issues within the code, that sort of thing. So open source software, by its nature, by the nature of what it is, is very protected against security issues and problems that have gone gone unnoticed for uh, long stretches of time. But when you're dealing with closed source, when you're dealing with the structure of what's happening within a company, when you're dealing with an incredibly complicated and large code base, um, like like the Windows operating system, you are opening your code base up to and and your product to the very real possibility that somebody has overlooked something and that there is a security vulnerability somewhere in your code that is going to be found the second that thing hits the streets. But because the company runs on money, because money is what keeps its engines going and that that financial drive right is what everything is focused on 
You have deadlines. You have people getting laid off for random reasons. You have trip-ups. You have all sorts of problems and issues that a company has to take care of. And every time something happens, the focus goes to how much are we going to lose? What is this going to cost us? How much can we make off of this? How much financial damage can we do to our competitors? See, when we pull back the curtains and break it all down to the essentials and take a really good look at what's happening at the very core of any company, the fact of the matter is, is that they are survival machines and they are built to do what they need to do to survive. Nothing else. Now, the insinuation here is that when a company starts, you know, teetering towards the red and starts having issues with their finances and problems with their product and people are returning stuff or there's a recall or whatever the case is and there isn't enough money to give the energy to the employees and the the managers right and the the officers to 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 sort of uh slip into that comfortable groove where they can worry about employees and they can worry about their customers and they can worry about all the nice things to worry about, right? When, when financial problems strike, any company goes from being that benevolent, beautiful, awesome company that's given the world so much to a... So to a cornered beast ready to strike. And the problem here is that this happens far more often than you know. The flow of financial resources come in and out. It's like, um, it's like kind of, it's like plugging into an electrical socket. You stick the plug in, the only electricity you have in you, or if you're an appliance, you know, you don't... <laughs> really want electricity in you, I guess. But if you're an appliance or, or you're plugging in your appliance, right? You plug it in. The only electricity it has in it is what it has in it. It's not like it's saving it up. Now, in some cases you do have machines that can save it up and charge themselves like rechargeable batteries and whatever, but that, that, that's not my point. My point is, is that it's very much like that. Um, when you bring into Therm, you know, bring thermodynamics into the picture and, and how that works. That is exactly what's happening. You need consistent uh, and a consistent income of, of the financial energies, right? And you need to consistently be putting it out as well in form of payments and bills and uh, paying your employees and, and that sort of a thing. It doesn't ma matter how large or seemingly you know, Titanic a company is, if you shut off its financial feed for a couple of months, you'll not even that. Most companies, if you just cut off its financial feed in the matter of days, they would be closing doors. But before they close their doors, it's going to go into starvation mode and it's going to feel backed into a corner. And, and you're right, I'm personifying, right, the construction and the entity that is the corporation. But 
that's exactly what's happening. I mean, corporations literally have personalities and it's made up of the interactions and, and dynamics of the people that are employed there and the, you know, the product. And it does have a personality, whether or not, I mean, it's not conscious or anything, but there is a personality there. So anyway, so that's the problem. Okay. So we have this need for a continual stream of energy and source and, and right. The, the, the financial energy is coming in consistently. It, it has to, or is not going to survive. And one of the problems is that even the very, very large companies, um, they're often financed and have large collectives of investors that are backing, you know, one project or another project. So when a product falls behind and, it, and they do a lot, then the pressures start to come in and the investors start complaining and wondering. And these are the sort of pressures that continually produce bad software. This isn't something that, you know, just happens kind of every now and then. This is something that happens all the time, all the time. So to meet those deadlines, what do they do? They just put it out there. They right, clip out the little pieces that they don't need, the things that aren't working and kind of uh, do a last minute hack together, run a few more tests, make sure it's like working, make sure it, you know, that it will mostly run for most people sort of a thing. And they just stick it out there. I promise you that this is a consistent perpetual practice of the software industry. This is not something that just is kind of a sparse, like, you know, a, occasional anomaly that pops off here and there. This is something that always <laughs> happens. Now, granted, companies that practice Scrum, if you don't know what Scrum is, you can go ahead and look it up. It's a, it's a method for producing software. Uh, my, I, I practice scrum. Um, it's, it's extremely powerful way to keep yourself on track and make sure things, uh, happen in order. But even, even with scrum, things can call, fall behind. And in fact, they do. Um, so my point is, is that there's nothing you can do to stop uh, the um, production of viruses and the production of malware and the production and or uh, use of uh, ransomware by hackers. You, you just can't stop that because there will always be bugs. Even if a company had the chance to comb through all their code to the finest detail, if it is closed source, they have a limited amount of attention and a limited number of eyes that they can put on that. And just that fact alone means that they are not going to catch everything. And once it's released, somebody out there is going to catch it. It's not a question of if it's a question of when. And so the hackers hack and then the patchers patch and they try to patch it up as quickly as they can. But this has, has spawned uh, an interesting anomaly. It's this whole cycle of, of um, 
uh, security issues happening and exploits being exploited and problems happening and then the company patching it up over and over again has spawned an entire industry, an entire industry of uh, um, uh, digital security specialists and and malware removal tools and, and virus scanners and entire entire suites to protect your uh, company from hacker attacks. So whenever you think of, oh, hey, that's, that's good. That, that's good for our economy, right? That's good for our economy. It's an entire new sector. It's, it's opened up a bunch of new jobs. Mm, that's partially true. Yes, it's created an entirely new sector. Yes, it has created a lot of jobs. But no, it's not something that we technically should have. Anytime you have an entire industry spring up overnight because of problems that another industry has introduced because of money or because of the financial pressures behind that means that that entirely new industry is just a waste of resources and money that does not need to exist. Think about it. Think about how many brilliant, just insanely, incredibly intelligent people are working on these problems day in and day out. We have entire uh, uh, depart police departments dedicated, FBI, right, CIA even, dedicated to hunting down cyber criminals and and you have um, software engineers and system designers that are their entire life is dedicated to protecting machines that technically if we did things right and if everything was open source and everybody worked on everything together then that is a, it's, what? It's like, let me come up with a really good example. Let me think about this for a second. <laughs> okay, <laughs> here it is. Okay, let's say that AGI is finally achieved, right? Some company out there creates, um, creates this amazingly intricate, uh, deep network that can, um, cross analyze things it can connect ideas from different um, different portions of of uh, study and thought and it can just it can think like a human so let's say this company creates these machines and they start manufacturing lifelike robots or they don't necessarily need to be lifelike but you know just machines that can help around the house and and uh, butlers and and whatever else okay well in this situation, we, we can use the same, the same, uh, the same vector here. So let's say, um, the, uh, the, the push, right. To get the product out on the street, they, they need to hurry and fat and be fast and get it out there because everybody wants a, a new robot Butler. So, um, so proper steps aren't taken. Shortcuts are, are taken and, and it becomes, uh, something that has a few security vulnerabilities. 
Well, it's not long until hackers, you know, discover that, well, not only can they hack now, they can actually hold people ransom. They can take over households. They can even, uh, even hit somebody if they need to, or, you know, like take somebody out. They can take money to hack into so-and-so's robot butler and, and take him out in his sleep. This is not a far-fetched idea. In fact, it's likely that this is probably going to happen. My point is, imagine the insane spring of, of new industries that's going to pop up overnight. You are going to have entire uh, um, police, you know, departments of the police dedicated to and trained for how to deal with an armed um, uh, mechanic, a mechanical being or creature or whatever. You're likely going to have um, an entire robotics industry spring up overnight that specifically design robots that can go in and handle um, handle a, an AWOL butler, right? An AWOL mech butler. I mean, it's not hard to see this. One new creation just caused the market to bloom with so many other new industries specifically to handle the downfalls of the original AGI mechanical butler industry, right? But if, if we did things right and we didn't have to do that, all of those new industries, they could be focusing on something productive, something good for humanity, but they're not. They're having to deal with the fact that, you know, that, uh, company zero here, has to push out the product too fast because the financial drive demands it. Now, this uh, mal uh, ransomware. This isn't. This isn't the only, you know, thing out there like this. If you just look across the econ the the spectrum of of, uh, of, of markets. There are so many markets out there that solely exist because of something like this. Uh, think about, um, um, biotech companies. Think about legal representatives, uh, uh, like uh, auto manufacturers, right? When they produce vehicles that, that donk out and they have a problem. You have, well, for, for some of them, you have entire little sectors of legal representation specific for that. Uh, airbags, right? I mean, the list doesn't stop. Think about the fact that there are credit cards and that, uh, um, like credit card security and, and your own per the security of your own personal information. There are entire areas of the market dedicated to credit card and financial fraud. I would estimate that well over half of 
the current economic marketplace is saturated with such appendages, such sort of anomalies that if things were done right, we would not need them. And if my estimation is correct, granted, I would need to sit down and really take a look at this and crunch this. But if my estimation is correct, how much of our resources and our energy is just being drained by these feedback loops that just eat this energy up. So even though these hackers that, uh, you know, that hold hospitals for ransom and hold little mom shops for ransom and don't, they just, maybe they care, maybe they don't, but it's likely that they are large organized criminal groups. Probably every now and then you end up with a, you know, a solo hacker that kind of does this and, and makes a little pocket change. But I, I would assume that the majority of these attacks are done by large criminal organizations. So despite the fact that this is a vile and disgusting thing to do, like what kind of human does this? Either it's somebody that really needs the cash and doesn't care who else they hurt, or it's a <laughs> large organization like a corporation, right? That just does it because that's their business. I mean, remember what we were talking about last time? It's corporations are literally, uh, sociopaths. So, or that's at least how they behave. What I'm saying is never mind the fact that these people, you know, who, who are they? What are they? What are they like? Why, why are they doing this? Don't, Never mind about that fact. Asking those questions is not going to solve this problem. The solution to this problem is to find out how to curb the motivation for money. Flat out. There, there is no other way around this. You need to focus on what the motives are. And once you understand what the motives are, you need to find a way to reorient that motive or make it so it's a non-issue. Now, like I have kind of hinted at a couple times, this is a part of um, a research project I'm involved in, but, oh, I don't know. It's just really frustrating to have, <laughs> to see all this stuff happening. I don't know how else to explain it. Anyway. I think that's time up for now. Uh, I will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening. The Great Filter is a Phobos Tech production. All proceeds go to fund the STEM Theory Research Project and other Phobos Tech research endeavors. Support our efforts by liking, subscribing, or sign up to contribute a small monthly donation.